The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. And welcome to the show, and special hello, Yoshiko Dart. I know you love this month, Yoshiko, because this is the month we celebrate the Americans with Disabilities Act. You know, every year, every single year, I have someone on every week that either is a national disability leader or was actually involved in the Americans with Disabilities Act, from the Thornburgs to, of course, last week, Tony Quello, to uh, next week, Senator Tom Harkin. And, you know, I was thinking about this today. Here we are. Here we are, 2013. The ADA was written in 1990, and still we have this extremely high Unemployment rate for Americans with disabilities. It is absolutely shameful that 70% of Americans with disabilities are not even part of the workforce today. And veterans with disabilities also have a very high unemployment rate. Now, I ask you, how can this be? How can this be? President Bush let the shameful wall of exclusion finally come tumbling down. I guess people aren't listening. I guess companies and agencies aren't listening. The wall we have is not barriers to the, the building, getting into the building. It is not as a barrier accommodations. It is not as a barrier, and hear me now, that there are not people with disabilities available. Oh, I hate when people say that. Oh, we would hire Americans with disabilities. We would, but they just aren't out there. Well, guess what, folks? Yes, they are. Yes, they are. We are. As you all know, I am a woman living with epilepsy. I had a life-threatening accident in 1985. 1985, my disability was misdiagnosed. And one evening, I went to the movie theater with my husband, and at the intermission of the film, I had a seizure and hit the floor so hard, I fractured my skull, had an intracranial brain hemorrhage, broke the bones in my right ear, and was rushed to the hospital and had life-saving brain surgery. And you know what? That seizure is what got me on this crusade. And I'm telling you now, I'm going to be doing this till the day I die. I can't believe, I just can't believe that it is so hard to find employment for people with disabilities, and that's why I founded Bender Consulting Services In 1995, a company that would provide employment to Americans with disabilities and a company that would help other companies employ people with disabilities. And by the way, now here's another myth that we have, that people with disabilities are unable to work in white-collar positions, you know, mathematics, information technology, finance, accounting. Well, once again, guess what? Guess what? We have people being hired by the National Security Agency, Americans with disabilities with a background in mathematics, finance, IT, 
and they are the best of the best. I always say, think about this, Americans with disabilities protecting our country, and it does not get better than that. It doesn't. It doesn't get better than that. So we are one family. We are fighting to change this, to change that attitudinal barrier, to provide employment for people with disabilities. And we are going to have a guest today on the show. Uh, He is absolutely phenomenal. I love him. You know what? You know how you meet people in life and you wonder, are they the real deal? Let me tell you, he is the real deal. He is a national champion of advocacy for people with disabilities. He is a civil rights leader, and he is my friend. Welcome to the show, Kelly Buckley. Thanks, Joyce. It's nice to be here with you again. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. I'd say, Go ahead. I'd say all those things right back to you. Love you. You're a good friend. You are the real deal, uh, and it's great to be here with you. Well, it is. It is great to have you. And, you know, again, this month we're celebrating the Americans with Disabilities Act, and that's the reason that we have had national champions last week, Tony Quello, this week, Kelly Buckland, because thank God we have people who are advocates working for us. So, Kelly, what does that day mean to you, July 26th? Well, July 26th actually has a lot of days, uh, or a lot of meanings, I'm sorry, for me. Uh, uh, you were just telling people about how you got your disability. Uh, I broke my neck uh, in a diving accident on July 26, 1970. So uh, July 26th is an anniversary for me every year, uh, not just on a... Uh, uh, advocacy basis on, in regards to the ADA, but it's also an anniversary for me personally. So this year will be 43 years of uh, living with disability. And so the ADA was signed on the 20th anniversary of my uh, getting a disability. And really, I think uh, July 26th really marks uh, a time when the globe changed. I mean, uh, Things are, having had a disability in 1970, and then now the world is uh, absolutely a different place in regards to uh, physical barriers that people have to deal with getting around, parking, curb cuts, uh, all those things uh, that used to be uh, barriers you had no, uh, nothing that you could do about it. Now we uh, have something we can do about it, so... It's absolutely uh, changed the world, in my opinion. You know, how amazing. I knew that. But how amazing that this all happened on July 26th to Kelly. But, you know, to any young people listening to the show right now, everyone in their life will have some traumatic experience to themselves or a friend or their family. But let me tell you, It's how you deal with it. It's how you react to it. I mean, look what Kelly has done with his life. And that is an example. I mean, he's having such a profound change on so many people. And, Kelly, I bet you never thought that was going to happen, huh? No, I certainly didn't. Uh, Even right after uh, my injury, I had no idea uh, where this would lead me, and it's it's uh, absolutely improved uh, my life in so many different ways. I have experienced things that, uh, without my disability, I would have never experienced. And so it's absolutely been uh, an amazing experience and uh, improved me as a human being. Well, I know what you mean. I know how you feel about that. I really do. But here's my question. As you well know, there are many, many, many people with disabilities or like the two of us had an accident and then acquired a disability, but only some of those decide to be advocates. Why did you decide that? You know, I originally had actually made a conscious decision not to become an advocate. I kind of wanted to be uh, not connected with the disability world, if you will, or the community. Uh, And 
there was a, a Vista volunteer uh, in rural Idaho who uh, wanted to get me uh, involved in some disability rights stuff. They were trying to organize uh, different kinds of uh, rights groups. There was a, a welfare rights group that they were organizing, and they were doing stuff around people with disabilities. And he got me involved, and uh, I, I actually I went to a legislative uh, effort to change the voting laws in 1985 to make them so that they had to be accessible. Uh, the polling places had to be accessible, and uh, that whole legislative experience just sort of hooked me in into public policy, and uh, after that, uh, I couldn't get enough of it. So, I, really, uh, a guy by the name of Roger Sherman uh, in Burley, Idaho, is really the guy that's responsible for getting me involved in advocacy. Wow. Well, Kelly, you are the executive director of NICL. Could you tell our listeners when and why and what NICL is? Yeah, uh, NICL was uh, formed in 1981. Uh, we are a membership organization, so uh, member or uh, centers for independent living, uh, statewide independent living councils, uh, which are both required under the Rehab Act, uh, and uh, individuals, and then other organizations that are interested in the uh, human and civil rights of people with disabilities uh, join up as members. So uh, we have about a 1,000 members, and that includes uh, individuals, uh, centers for independent living, statewide independent living councils, and then other organizations. So, And we were really formed in 1982 to give... Uh, uh, independent living of voice uh, in Washington, D.C. We were uh, very small at that time. We had uh, 10 centers, 10 original centers for independent living across the country, uh, so one in each federal region. And uh, so uh, we needed a voice here to, uh, to increase the number of centers and increase the funding and uh, just increase the advocacy done on behalf of people with disabilities uh, by people with disabilities. And so that's why NICLA was formed. But we're, uh, again, celebrating our 31st anniversary this year. So we've been around a little while. There's now about uh, 700 centers for independent living across the country. Uh, wow. About 436 of those are federally funded. Uh, others are funded by either state funds or funds that they've been raising through uh, different means. So, Kelly, who were there, like, certain people that first came up with this idea? Uh, to form Nickel? Yeah. Yeah, uh, a gentleman by the name of Max Starkloff was actually uh, the person who was the uh, original president of Nickel. He was the first president. Um, and you may know his, his uh, wife, Colleen Starkloff runs the Starkloff uh, Institute in uh, St. Louis. Oh, yeah. She is an awesome person. Yep. And uh, Max was the director of uh, Paraquad in uh, St. Louis, which is a center for independent living. Uh, of course, Martha Bristow, a lot of people know about her as being a founder. Judy Human was one of the founders. A number of really big names in the uh, disability world kind of started up Nickel. Uh, and IL, uh, and uh, everybody, I think, uh, kind of knows who Ed Roberts is. He started the first uh, Center for Independent Living in uh, Berkeley, uh, California. And so uh, lots of people helped Nickel start, get off the ground. Uh, for a number of years, With the, the office actually followed the president. So wherever the president was, that was kind of the office because we didn't have staff, and uh, uh, we ended up hiring staff. The first staff member for Nickel was uh, uh, owned by the name of Anne Marie Huey, who now uh, works for a center in Kansas. Uh, and I always uh, I I ran a center in Boise, Idaho, and uh, knew Anne Marie through through uh, Nickel conferences and, and uh, being part of Nickel, and I always uh, really admired and. Uh, loved Anne Marie. She's a great woman. So, 
Yeah, that's, that is wonderful. Now, you were talking about all these different offices. <clears throat> Do each one of them have the same mission, or is it different? Uh, well, Centers for Independent Living um, all have uh, the same mission, and that is to uh, allow, you know, provide services that will help people with disabilities live <laughs> um, as independently and with as much control over their lives as their non-disabled peers do. So that's really the broad overall mission. Uh, and uh, there are four core services required under the Rehab Act. Um, that's information referral, uh, independent living skills training, which is how do you live in this world as a person with a disability. And then uh, third is uh, peer support. And then uh, last, but certainly most important, in my opinion, is uh, individual and systems advocacy. So those four core services are required by all centers. So. I remember. <clears throat> I remember when I. It's actually when I first became really involved in the disability community of Pittsburgh. <clears throat> I remember the big mission of getting people out of nursing homes. And I remember at one of the events, one of those individuals spoke, and it was just so powerful, which I know you're still involved with that. Oh, absolutely. Centers do a lot of that. It's not a, it's not a core service that, that is required, but uh, centers believe deeply that people uh, shouldn't be incarcerated in institutions or nursing homes. They should be able to live free in that community. And... Uh, Centers actually uh, move uh, about 4,000 people uh, each and every year out of institutions or nursing homes. So, you know, that starts to add up pretty quickly. When you count uh, like three years, that's 12,000 people that have been moved. And then uh, they're able to, like, which is really the goal, right, is to keep anybody from going there in the first place. And they're uh, able to... Uh, prevent about twenty to 25,000 people each year from entering nursing homes or other institutions. Yes, you know what? I have a young man I know, I mean, young, he's, I don't know, maybe 50 years old, in Pittsburgh <clears throat> that had an accident and is in a facility, a nursing home, and he has been there for over a year and a half, in that room, in that bed, because he doesn't have anyone to help him. And another, which I am working on, and another thing that I found out is that people don't realize this. There are young people with disabilities in many of these facilities. Yeah, there actually are, uh, are tens of thousands of uh, young people in nursing homes and other institutions which is, to me, prison, and that is terrible. Well, Kelly, we are getting uh, emails. We're getting people calling my office. And, by the way, instead of calling the office, 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. And here is the first question for you, actually from Pittsburgh, from a Mary. And the question is, Kelly, what do you do to keep everyone inspired when you see we aren't moving forward in many areas such as employment? Well, Mary, I, I think uh, that is uh, part of the question, or that is a major question for our movement right now, is how to get people uh, involved. I think we are uh, absolutely going through a transformation in the disability rights movement. We uh, have for the first time uh, a generation that grew up under civil rights laws that protected their rights. Uh, us people that have been in the movement for a long time grew up in a world where we didn't have any rights, and we uh, were very, when, when you've uh, been denied rights, you get very uh, inspired to change, make a change to that. Uh, but uh, I think this new generation uh, needs other reasons to get involved, and employment is absolutely, I think, one of the reasons that 
uh, should inspire people to get involved. We uh, we have this uh, the worst employment rate of any other class of uh, human being, and uh, we need to change that. And I think so. Uh, giving people an opportunity to change uh, the world and uh, giving them uh, a reason to change it, uh, I think, is what is how you keep people inspired to keep moving this forward. Yeah, and, you know, you just have to have that, I don't give up, no matter what, I won't give up. Okay, Ted from Delaware, and the question is, Kelly, first of all, thank you for everything you're doing. I know some things are not known by everyone nationally. What is going on with Money Follows the Person? Well, uh, as you know, uh, Money Follows the Person is in each state, uh, and it's working. Some centers are uh, involved in the Money Follows the Person program uh, around the country. Uh, Some are not. Uh, some of the money follows the program, uh, or money follows the person programs are working well. Some are not. Uh, and there's really kind of, uh, I think, another transformation happening in regards to that, in that uh, the Affordable Care Act uh, that was passed, uh, or Obamacare, if you want to call it that, uh, really did have a major impact on people with disabilities. And this is one of the areas where it really impacted people, is that there are several programs that were written into that to help people move uh, out of institutions, back into the community, that complement the Money Follows the Person program. Like, one uh, is the Community for Choice uh, option, which uh, we just found out Oregon has selected to uh, implement, and there are several other states on the verge of doing it, and so uh, there's uh, also another, uh, there's the rebalancing program uh, that really kind of uh, is uh, there to help incentivize states to rebalance their long-term care programs to take away the institutional bias, and so there's a lot of other stuff going on out there that sort of helps uh, support and bolster up the Money Falls Person program. Yeah, and, you know, we are so thankful that we have that Affordable Care Act. For example, people with uh, young people with pre-existing conditions such as epilepsy like me would not be covered. I mean, think about that. Just changing that for children with chronic disabilities, I mean, that alone, wow, that is such a great thing that happened. But once again, you know, you can follow Nickel. You can go to their website, uh, and you will know. You can keep apprised of what's going on. And one of the problems I've found in our community is sometimes, you know, in D.C., people seem to know what's going on. But across the United States, they don't know what's going on, and we somehow have to get this message out to everyone, everywhere. That's why it would be a good idea, for example, to get involved with, um, you know, some of these chapters that uh, Kelly was talking about. Okay, we have an Aaron from Texas, and the question is, uh, Kelly, I know this is very controversial, but I wondered what you thought about the recent TV show talking about subminimum wage. Oh, I you assume you're talking uh, about uh, Goodwill, the Goodwill Industries episode. Yeah, I uh, only was uh, able to watch part of that and uh, plan to watch the rest of it here soon, uh, but we're gearing up for our national conference. But uh, here's, uh, I think, another thing people may, may or may not know about me. Uh, my first job was in a shelter door shop. Uh, when I was uh, injured in 1970, I went back to school uh, my VR counselor and uh, one of my teachers in school uh, put me in a shelter workshop that you could get high, high school credit for working in the afternoon, and uh, that's where they put me. So I didn't get paid anything to do that. I just got some high school credit. Uh, and then when I moved to uh, Boise to go to college, uh, I was uh, living in a nursing home. So I've had experience with both of these things, and uh 
you know, myself and Nickel are absolutely opposed to subminimum wage. We think it should be eliminated, and uh, we don't think that there's a in this uh, in this day and age. It, it's an outdated, uh, in our opinion, it's an outdated uh, program that really should just be phased out, and everybody should get paid above minimum wage. I agree with you. And, you know, when people say to me, they'll say, well, many of the people with intellectual disabilities, if you would, you know, that's what they want to do. And I always say, really? What did they have another option? Because I want to tell you, because of Highmark, Bender was able to partner with Highmark, and we were able to get two young men with Down syndrome working in a very techno male center they have who are being paid an excellent salary with benefits. So my point is, do they know there are other options? So, you know, I'm sorry I'm with Kelly on this. I remember when Becky Ogle was at a Senate hearing with uh, Senator Harkin and said, hey, I don't care what you do, but don't call it work. Just don't call it work because it isn't work. Work is not being paid 22 cents an hour. That's not work. So I am 100% with uh, Kelly on that. Now, Kelly, you were talking about all the offices and certain core uh, missions they have. Is that then the same from a national perspective? It's the same across the board. Uh, yes, it is. And there, there are, uh, I think, that the, the, the Exact numbers, there's something like 715 centers for independent living. Uh, but we like to say there's one in every congressional district, too. So, uh, and that's actually true. So, but their, but their mission really is, uh, to, um, get people to, to where, a point where they live as independent as they want to and have the same level of control over their lives as, uh, their non-disabled peers do. The, other thing I might say, you know, in regards to we're talking about employment stuff, uh, there are a, a number of centers for independent living across the country that really uh, provide employment services for people with disabilities, too. Uh, there's several that actually have uh, an employment program within their center that that's distinct and staffed by people that just do nothing but that, help people uh, go back to work. Or go to work. Yeah, that's awesome. That is awesome. And I know, because I know some of the centers where there are people with disabilities working. So it's just another great way to find employment. Well, Kelly, I know something you'll want to talk about, and that's that upcoming conference you alluded to earlier. So how about if you tell all of our listeners what's going on, what you'll be doing, and, of course, how they can attend. Uh, absolutely. Uh, well, uh, registration, uh, off-site registration will close on Friday. So if you want to register online or uh, over the phone or, or however, got to do that by Friday. Uh, but you're always able to still register on-site. There's, uh, there's plenty of slots open. People should feel free to come. Uh, as you know, we, we always have uh, a big uh, showing at the Nickel Conference. Uh, this year it's going to be on July 23rd through the 27th, uh, which means we'll be having our conference right over the uh, ADA anniversary, the 23rd anniversary. We'll have a little a little party, a little get-together uh, on the, tw- the evening of the 26th, and uh, we'll celebrate the rights that we gain under the ADA. Uh, we also, uh, last year for the first time, we started a, uh, a pre-conference uh, program, and it, it was so uh, it was so enthusiastically uh, uh, welcomed by the membership and by others that we're going to do it again this year. Last year we. Our pre-conference was centered on youth with disabilities and getting them involved in the movement. Uh, this year, our uh, pre-conference is centered on employment. And uh, we'll be specifically having young people 
uh, do the presentation. And uh, we'll be talking about a proposal that's being uh, that's being put forward by both uh, the World Institute on Disability and Nickel uh, about raising the uh, employment rate of uh, folks between the ages of uh, 18 and 30. So won't tell you any more than that, uh, but there's a little teaser. And uh, Assistant Secretary of the Office on Disability Employment Policy, Kathy Martinez, uh, will be there to help us kick it off. Oh, that is awesome. Now, again, that's on the 23rd. What time is that? Uh, actually, that will be on the 22nd. That's on the 22nd. What, yeah, what time the, is it? The, the conference starts. It's uh, from, uh, oh, shoot, Joyce. Uh, I think it's 10 to 3, but uh, go to our website and look, up, look on the website to make sure that's the right time. So, okay. And then it just continues going how many days? The 23rd through the 27th. So. We have our opening uh, plenary and, uh, like, our policy updates, uh, you know, how to prepare for your day on the Hill, that sort of stuff will be the first day. The second day, the 25th, uh, or, I mean, uh, 25th is going to be the march and rally. Uh, And then, look, 26th, like I said, will be the party. Uh, And 27th will be the closing. So. Yeah, what time is that march? It, it, just so you know, uh, what Kelly's talking about, they have an actual march in D.C. Um, representing the disability community in Nickel. What, what time is that and where is it? Well, we start to organize outside the hotel, uh, the Grand Hyatt uh, in D.C., uh, about 9 or 9.30, and then we take off at 10, and... Uh, we march down to the Capitol building, uh, and then we have a rally there with speakers. Uh, Joyce has been a speaker there before, as well as a number of uh, senators and congressional members. <laughs> uh, Tony Quello, your guest last week, has uh, spoke on several occasions. Hopefully he'll do that again this year. Uh, so, and that's to get people pumped up uh, to go up to the Hill and do legislative visits. So that is scheduled from 1 to 5. Uh, the rally is scheduled from like uh, 11.30 to uh, 12.30 or 1 or so, and then people going up to the hill. So. And is that all on your website? Yes, it is, which you can get to by going to www.ncil.org. And there you'll see on the right-hand side there's a little button that talks about the 2013 uh, Nickel Conference. Okay. Well, before we go any further, I have to ask you, Kelly, you're doing so many great things for this country, for people with disabilities, but how do you get your funding? How do you get your funding? Well, as I I said earlier, Nickel's a membership organization, and so we derive about a third of our income from uh, Nickel's Nickel dues. Uh, We get about a third from uh, uh, one of our major grants, which is uh, ILNET, which is a technical assistance program for uh, that does training for Centers for Independent Living and Statewide Independent Living Councils. And then we get about a third of our revenue from just uh, uh, other smaller grants and uh, fundraising. Well, how much does it cost to be a member? Uh, it's very affordable. It's thirty-five bucks. Thirty-five dollars. So here's my challenge to all of you. I have an internal office where I'm going to make them members. So if I can do that, you can do that. Thirty-five dollars. Hey, add up the Starbucks you drink in a month. I'm not kidding you. Add it up, and you will see. What I mean, I mean $35, what is that? And yet you're part of a national organization. And, you know, I meet people and they're always telling me, oh, we need someone to do something for us. And my new mantra is, no, we need to do something for us. We do. So the only way we're going to make change is if we start getting it together where we're working together. So uh, where do they go, Kelly? They go to your website? That's right. There's a place to join right on the website. And uh, thanks for joining up, Joyce. There's also a youth uh, 
membership rate, I think it's $10, so it's really cheap for youth. And we don't want the the money to prevent anybody from coming uh, becoming an ECHL member. So if you can't afford $35, we'll, work, we'll negotiate uh, even that amount with you. So. Well, that that just is Kelly right there. That is just Kelly. And I think that's wonderful. But I know that there are people listening that they can't afford it that are buying those Starbucks I talked about. So, hey, you're listening to the show. Go to this website, become a member of Nickel, and you will be able to have that proud membership. So can anyone make a donation? I'm wondering about that. Companies, anyone, can they make a donation to Nickel? Absolutely. We'll take a, a donation from anyone. And, there, again, there's a button on the uh, website to, that you can donate. So there's a membership button where you can join as a member. There's also a donate button. So it's uh, easy to do. Uh, and, uh, you know, I uh, even though I work at Nickel, I donate. Uh, to them significantly every year because I, I believe in the cause. So so you can do that, too. And if you're a company, you can do that also. I'm going to start taking Kelly with me to companies in Pittsburgh, and I'm going to start shaming them that they better make a contribution. You know, we are, a min- we are the largest minority group unemployed, but we also are a group that doesn't get a lot of funding as other groups do, and that's because we don't speak up. We don't speak up the way other people do, and you know what? We need to change that. We do need to change that. Um, So here's a question for you from Illinois, Kelly. You know, folks, I'm so glad you send these questions, and I don't want to discourage you, but, you know, really, don't be afraid to call in, 1-866-472-5788. But Cindy from Illinois, the question is, Kelly, as the years have gone by, what can you tell us about something you feel has been successful in the lives of someone you helped? Well, I, that's a really good question, Cindy. I, uh, you know, I think IL actually has been the thing that's been most successful uh, in my life. I mean, I talked a little bit about uh, IL philosophy and uh, that sort of stuff. Where, I mean, we are a peer-run organization, so and also also are all the centers for independent living and statewide independent living councils. Meaning that they are organizations run by people with disabilities uh, and uh, employed people with disabilities are employed there. Uh, but one of the things that really got me involved, and I talked about how I became an advocate, but the thing that really got me involved with Nickel was I came to my first Nickel conference in uh, 1989, and uh, at the time, President Bush was not supporting the uh, passage of the ADA, and uh, so we marched on the White House, and... uh, We got a meeting with the president. Wow, that is uh, awesome. Yeah, uh, an interesting story, but uh, Mark had just walked up. Uh, who's from Chicago, by the way? Uh, just walked up and uh, picked up the phone and said, I want to speak to the president. And interestingly enough, it was Dick Thornburg who answered the phone. So anyway, we got a meeting with the president. They, the few of the leaders of Nickel met with him, and it was shortly after that that he signed on in support of the ADA. And, of course, Attorney General Thornburg had a lot to do with that. But uh, that whole Nickel conference experience, seeing people with disabilities uh, take over Washington, D.C., and just sort of, like, uh, be advocating for themselves like that was something that hooked uh, me into IL forever and uh, so I think, you know, that's probably one of the things I've seen that's been the most successful. That is amazing. So, uh, Kelly, you know, you talked about Tony Quello, and something that is burning with him is CRPD and seeing that voted yes. As everyone knows, we thought it was going to go through, and it did not. You know what? I've never seen Tony 
as heartbroken as he was that day. Truthfully, never. So what can we do? What suggestions? What can we do, Kelly, to move that forward? Well, what, what we really need right now is we need people calling in to their senators uh, and telling them that they need to vote for the CRPD. We need to get uh, a large number of votes. We have to get 67. So uh, it can't just win on a 50 plus one uh, vote. I think a lot of people think that's how it works. But uh, for stuff like this, for a treaty, it takes a supermajority, which is uh, 66 and two-thirds, which means you have to have 20, 67 votes. We fell, <clears throat> what, six votes shy? And I was uh, on this last vote, and I was sitting in the Senate gallery when they when they took the vote, and uh, I felt just like Tony. I mean, this there was that was so depressing and so heartbreaking to watch it fail by such a small number of votes when when we had a clear majority of people. I mean, sixty plus, but we couldn't get we couldn't get just. Uh, that many more votes. So uh, go look and see how your senator voted last time and hold them accountable and talk to them about voting the right way this time. People really need to hear from you at this point. And uh, and come to the conference and go up on the Hill and talk about it uh, during your visits with uh, your congressional members. There you go. That's a good idea. That's an excellent idea. You, uh, once again... No matter where you are listening to the show, pick up the phone. And if your senator voted no, you have to call. You know, you will not believe how they take notice of those calls. Tony talked about that. And, you know, unfortunately, the opposition had like ten times the calls we made. We can't let that happen again. Everyone you know, you have to tell them to call their senator. And I was so upset right after this. I sent something around that just went around and kept going around. But it was, for the senators that voted no, I have three words for you. Shame on you. You've got to give me a break. I mean, we had the media for the first time really respond to this. So, you know, let's see what happens this time. And there will be a this time. And I'll tell you what, Kelly, wasn't it also heartbreaking to see Senator Dole right there on the floor and people walking past him voting no? Yep. Yep, it certainly was. I mean, uh, and what a great gentleman he is. I and mean, we will be honoring uh, Bob Dole at this year's Nickel Conference uh, with the Lifetime Achievement Award which is named after the Nichols' first president, Max Starkloff, uh, because of all his work. But that was really, that really was disappointing to see that. I was, uh, you know, he, he was so responsible for the ADA, and this would help spread that to the, to the world. And uh, it just was heartbreaking to see him sit there on the Senate floor and watch his uh, colleagues uh, vote it down. Mm-hmm. It was. It really was, and uh, like you, you know, I was at this event beforehand, they, and, and, you know, he was so ha- This man is frail, and he came out just only for this reason. You know, that uh, honestly, it was shameful that people would walk past him, be able to walk past him and vote no. And when you said, you know, heartbreaking, oh, I know people from Dread, if really people everywhere were just so dismayed. And you talked about Governor Thornburg. He testified saying, anyone you're listening to that says this would change the law, I've read it, I've read it, I've read it, and it does not change anything. And by the way, it does not cause homeschooling to change. So you know the key thing you have to do is be educated. And once again, get involved with Nickel. The more that you're involved, the more that you're going to see change occur. Okay, this is from Linda in Florida, and the question is, 
Kelly, sometimes I'm concerned. It seems like when you talk about leaders in the disability community, it's the same people over and over, but not that many new names of youth. Do you see that, and, and what can we do to change it? Well, I think that I absolutely, Linda, I think you're absolutely right. There need to be more youth involved. Uh, I don't think we need to discard uh, leaders that have been doing this for a long time, but we certainly absolutely have to encourage more youth to get involved. Uh, one uh, very encouraging thing that I can tell you is that the Nickel Youth, uh, quote-unquote, uh, membership has actually tripled in the last uh, two years. So we've been working very hard to get more youth involved, and that's why we had the pre-conference last year that was centered on youth. That's why youth will be doing the presentations uh, on the work stuff this year. And uh, we will have, uh, we actually just uh, applied for grant to provide scholarships to youth to come. We'll have the AAPD interns uh, at the Nickel Conference. We really do have to inspire young people to get involved in the movement because uh, even though we've made great gains, we still have so much more to accomplish. And you know someone that's been terrific about this, Yoshiko Dart. She is so committed to youth with disabilities and to try to get more young people to be leaders and really we should follow that role model because we all need to do that. We need to support groups like Nickel. See, once again, you can't make change when you only have so much resources. And that's why I'm encouraging everyone listening to the show today to join Nickel. You know we are celebrating this month the signing of the Americans with Disabilities Act. That is our history, our civil rights, so you know we should be celebrating one way you can is by helping us by joining Nickel. Well, Kelly, you just have accomplished so much in your life. As I said, I bet you never thought all these things would happen. But what would you say, if you had to consider one thing as your greatest accomplishment, what would it be? Uh, you know, I still have to... Uh, I think the greatest thing that uh, I accomplished in my uh, advocacy career was uh, we changed, and I think this is connected to the last question, too, Linda. Uh, we changed all of the child custody laws in Idaho to prevent uh, discrimination against parents with disabilities. And uh, since coming to D.C., I was... Uh, uh, able to convince NCD, the National uh, Council on Disability, to look into discrimination against parents with disabilities. And they've done a report, and it does have some recommendations in it on policy changes, because you should be able to live in any state in this country without fear of losing uh, your children because you have a disability. And uh, tens of thousands of parents with disabilities lose their children every year uh, so it's really something that we have to stop. That's something that I think is, uh, quite honestly, it's the most fundamental right that I can think of. I mean, the opportunity to reproduce and raise your young, I mean, uh, none of us would be here without that. So we really do need to change this so that uh, parents with disabilities, and I think this is really an issue that uh, that resonates with younger people because they're, thinking about wanting to start a family, you know, and that kind of stuff. And uh, this really <laughs> kind of resonates with them. So um, I think that's the most, that's the thing I'm proudest of, uh, uh, Joyce. And it's, it's being uh, held up. The Idaho laws are actually being held up as the, as the gold standard when it comes to disability and child custody. So uh, we're very proud of that. You know what? That is terrible. It really is. I have to ask you, who makes those decisions in the state? How, how does that happen? Well, you know, uh, some kids are taken away at the hospital, so they never even are allowed to go home with their parent. Uh, we've seen that happen on a number of occasions uh, because the hospital staff believe that they're incapable of caring for their child. Uh, but, and, of course, child protection uh, 
intervenes and uh, removes some children from homes based on the same sort of biases. Uh, and, it, you know, an interesting connection is I, I actually, my one of my first jobs was doing child protection. So I removed children from the home. I know how that affects people, and I know why people do it. I mean, there are people who abuse and uh, neglect their children, and they, they children need to be protected as well. But, uh, but you know, interestingly enough, most people lose custody of their children uh, in divorce court because you'll have uh, one parent with a disability or without a disability using the other parent's disability against them in divorce court. And the judge, of course, has a lot of the same biases that, that society does about what a parent or what a good parent is or what the best interests of the child are and that kind of stuff. So, But, but uh, wait a minute. What right does someone in the hospital have to make this decision? Like, what do they base that decision on? Well, they actually, in most states, are required to report uh, <clears throat> child neglect or child abuse uh, and can be penalized under law for not doing so. But uh, so they can actually uh, hold the child and call child protection services to come in, and they do actually fairly frequently. We had a we had a woman in uh, in Idaho who had lost custody. She was a paraplegic, uh, used a power or a manual chair, and because she stored her chair in the back seat where the uh, where the child seat was. Uh, Somebody determined that, that was uh, dangerous for the child and uh, took her child away. Of course, there's uh, obviously there's a lot more remedies that could be used than taking our children away. Oh, but, you know what? That is so horrifying. That is horrifying. Well, Kelly, you keep up that great work you're doing. So, Kelly, if you had a message you wanted to leave with our listeners today, what would it be? Get involved. Get Get involved, be an advocate, uh, work on behalf of uh, not just yourself, but other people with disabilities. Uh, we all need to uh, to rise the boats for all. So uh, that would be my message is for people to get involved and, uh, and do advocacy. Wow, what a great message. That is a great and a powerful message, and I agree. Kelly, I want to thank you so much, first of all, for the great work you're doing in this country and for being a guest on our show today. My pleasure, Joyce. It's always a uh, pleasure to be with you, uh, even more so when it's in person. But... Uh, well, the feeling is mutual. The feeling is certainly mutual. You know, we always end every show with a quote from a famous civil rights leader or someone who has impacted the quality of life for us. And today, that has to be President George H.W. Bush, who said, let the shameful wall of exclusion finally come tumbling down. Hey, folks, when's that wall going to fall? We've been waiting too long. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Join Nickel today and talk to you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader in Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.